So on January 15th, New Perspectives began a year-long exploration on the transformation of the body. We began with a deepening of our understanding of its metaphysical significance in the light of Shiobindo's and the Mother's teachings, as well as examining the place that the body occupies within various religious traditions and knowledge systems. Today, our journey continues with the first of a six-part series from a psychological perspective. Sri Aurobindo, in his chapter on the divine body, states, quote, More ordinarily, in the spiritual tradition, the body has been regarded as an obstacle, incapable of spiritualization or transmutation, and a heavy weight holding the soul to earthly nature. But while this conception of the role of the body in our destiny is suitable enough for a sadhana that seems earth-only, as a field of the ignorance, and earth life as a preparation for a saving withdrawal from life, which is the indispensable condition for spiritual liberation, it is insufficient for a sadhana which conceives of a divine life upon earth in liberation of earth nature itself as part of a total purpose of the embodiment of spirit here. If a total transformation of the being is our aim, a transformation of the body must be an indispensable part of it. Without that, no full divine life on earth is possible. Unquote. So here with us today, we are honored to have Dr. Alok Pandi, who will address the role of the psychic in the process of physical transformation. Dr. Pandey is a well-known authority on Sri Aurobindo and the mother's writings, especially on the subject of yoga, psychology, education, and health. A medical doctor who has specialized in psychiatry, he has served in various capacities in the Indian Air Force before taking voluntary retirement and settling down permanently in the Shriobindo Ashram, Pondicherry. So in a moment, I would like to turn it over to you, Dr. Pandey, but before doing so, I would just like to encourage all uh, attendees, if there are questions during this webinar, to please post uh, in the Q&A box rather than in the chat box, and we will have time towards the end of this webinar to address them. So thank you, and with that, I'll turn it over to you, Dr. Pandey. Namaste. In the ordinary view of spiritual life, traditional spiritual understanding, matter and material life is considered as something which opposes the spiritual life, as an antagonist to spiritual life. And hence comes the command of the great ascetics, if you want God, leave this world. And as a uh, adverse side of the same truth, if you want this world, leave God. That's the other part. <laughs> Unfortunately, there is another view of material life, not so world-negating, but which tries to bridge the truth, the original Vedantic idea. And it is that material life is a preparation for the spiritual life. So here, the body and material existence is seen either as a pot in which a you know, plant grows or the experience of the material existence embodied existence for a human being are simply feeders for a deeper inmost self to grow till it becomes aware that it's not here to which it belongs. It's like the baby in the um, crash or the baby in the, what is it, palna, cradle, wakes up. And when it wakes up, it says, who put me to sleep here? 
looks for his mama and walks straight away from that earth. Shubhendra brings a yet deeper, yet greater, yet more complete, yet more synthetic view that matter is the condition for the manifestation of the spirit. And the entire evolutionary journey that we see from matter to man and what is yet to come is simply to make this manifestation more and more beautiful, more and more true, more and more perfect, more and more aligned to the original will that gave birth to creation. So how does it take place in the beginning? There is, you know, if we can visualize that when we go to a yagna, to a, you know, sacrificial fire where it is being lit, initially you have people who are, whose task is to lay the bricks, then comes people who clean it, then comes others who will give the arrangement, a person, the priest will sit here, other, so they create a kind of order. And then finally comes the priest who lights up the flame of sacrifice and then the sacrifice starts. So what, till before the emergence of the psychic, what we see really is the laying down of the bricks, the uh, arrangement, the order and a kind of preparatory phase. But the real ascent of man begins with the lighting of the flame in which the priest of the sacrifice is the psychic being. Now, this evolution is a two-way process. So, at first, if we look at Shurabindu symbol, we'll see something very interesting. Matter aspires through light, life and love. So, the first that step is the emergence of life in matter. It's involved, it comes up. So, what does life do? It doesn't just starts hanging and growing in the air. It modifies matter. Without modifying matter, life cannot emerge. So the soil, which is hard, thick, rocky, is molded through the impact of various forces in creation, seen and unseen, till matter is ready to allow the possibility of life to escape. And then once it escapes, then matter is modified and modified and modified. The same matter is absorbed by the plant and it blooms into flowers. The same matter takes the shape of you know, various forms of vegetables and minerals and that is eaten up by the animal life and the animal life develops tremendous vitality from the same hard rock substance, the same minerals. So at each level there is a modification of matter along with that which emerges. And this is a two-stage process. In the beginning when life emerges, it looks so much like matter. Is it completely clinging and holding on to it? Watch these algaes which, you know, come up on rocks. It's sometimes difficult to differentiate where is the rock and where is the living form. And one learns sometimes with hard experience of slipping over one of them. But later on, this life blooms and expands and, you know, throws up countless forms climbing from that algae right up to man then emerges mind in the beginning the same play happens there is a rudimentary mind at the service of living matter and yet this presence of mind starts modifying matter starts modifying matter till brain cells emerge till there are curves and gyri and sulci as we call it and matter becomes relatively receptive to the mental forces so mental forces can pour into it and 
express themselves. So at each level, there is the emergence. In the beginning, the new thing that emerges seems to be at the mercy of the other two. But as it emerges, it begins to become more and more independent, exerts its influence and starts modifying matter. Let's take a very practical example. In the in the early stages of evolution, if people have to think, you know, thinking is a very... <laughs> so most of the time people think about food or the outer event. This 90% of the time people are engaged with the thought. So what is happening? Thought is immersed, but it is still bound by matter and material and the bodily needs. It's centered around that. And then it is so much dependent on the body condition that if there is a fever, if there is a fatigue, then one cannot think. One says, oh, I am, don't, don't uh, discuss uh, high things now because I am hungry or I am too much fed up. By fed up, I mean I have eaten too much, not fed up. <laughs> so I am fed up with all this. I, I have taken a good food, now I need a sleep. But as evolution develops, you will see that the sign of an evolved human being, if you want to check out, See that what is the kind of discussion he engages on on the dining table. See what he discusses even on a hungry stomach. See what he discusses after his belly is full. See what is his psychological condition even when he is suffering from fever. The mind has begun to become independent of the body. Because it's using body still as a base because the, the thought vibrations have to run through the brain. But the grooves of the brain have adopted in such a way that whatever be the condition of the body, the mind can take over the, take over the material existence and be its master. So this is how things proceed. And they have come till now where the body has become receptive, at least in a developed humanity, to the forces of thought. And this thought itself climbs through several layers. But Sri says, one of his Mahavakyas, often we quote, all life is yoga, but there is a still wonderful Mahavakya and it is that man is a transitional being. So just as the rock, the minerals, the earth was a field of grand experiment and the water and the mountains had to come together to create living beings, so also living beings had to where a preparation for the emergence of man, the mental being, so also man, the mental being, through all the clash and clasp of forces, the warring and jarring thoughts and ideas and ideologies and viewpoints and opinions. See, just as at the material level, you see violent forces come in and churn matter to bring out life. Now there is a tremendous churning at a mental level. It's no more the heroic ages when people were you know, uh, fighting with arms to kill each other. Now behind them, there is a intellectual or ideative forces. And through all this journey, a new kind of life is beginning to emerge from matter. A life which is nobler, a life which seeks truth of things, a life which instinctively searches for beauty at every level, a life which is one with love, a life which wants to expand towards uncharted, wide, distant horizons and doesn't want to always crawl on the earth. A life which seeks for God, freedom, light, immortality. 
a life which is a lover of unity all this because something new has begun to emerge and this new element which has begun to emerge in humanity now and that's why we see shobinda emphasizes it so much is the psychic being why hasn't been spoken of so much it is earlier of course it is there hinted time to time it is hinted and there are different ways of looking at that and i'm not going into where all it is hinted but it's hinted but shobinda and the mother give a great emphasis to it because the collective evolution of humanity has reached a point where through all the experiences which the human soul has taken up upon itself it has now developed at least there is there are a number of people in whom there is a almost an independent psychic life which has begun to develop through all the experiences of the human race so this is the time when one can speak about it so what really is the psychic being ordinarily we are limited within the human frame there are two great apertures though there are several windows opening all the time to the infinite to the influx of the divine but there are two great apertures they are not windows they are doors that open upon that which is beyond the divine the infinite the eternal and these two doors are one which is through the higher mind the higher mind is not the ordinary human mind ordinary human rational mind but we can use the word a luminous intellect higher mind is the birthplace of religions where it looks into the beyond so higher mind which seeks for something greater which senses intuits that there is a greater truth and reality worth seeking and an inmost heart so that's another aperture in the depths of the heart in the core of the being there is that little no bigger than the thumb of man which can totally change our life so this is the reversal every time as we said new thing emerges initially it is under the grip of the previous um you know it's like uh, any house when a new comer comes i give this example in uh, indian settings which uh, uh, i'm sure in some way is probably applicable everywhere so in the indian setting when the lady of the house comes she comes from a new place she has to adjust and adapt to the people who are already there but her original plan she knows she has brought the original plan from her own home slowly slowly she starts tweaking the husband this that and eventually she wants this house to become like her parents home then there is the baby which comes initially the baby is at the mercy of the parents old fashioned fellows and then as the baby develops the parents find themselves at the mercy of the baby this is exactly what happens with the psychic life of man in the beginning it seems to be at the mercy of the mind and the body so people often will complain oh how can i meditate i have this problem that problem this circumstance that situation or some reflection of that psychic light enters the mind and the mind begins to seek through countless doubts it becomes a mind which is reading from here and there and this book that book it starts in taking interest in spiritual books to, you know whatever it means so this is the beginning when the mind is still that psychic life is still at the mercy of the mind still at the mercy of the life force still it is driven it's the desired soul drives it and the psychic unwittingly says okay because you know it is at the mercy of the chariot it's still half awake it finds itself in the car and the driver is 
Messrs. Desire and Company has sent their own, you know, uh, car company which has sent their cab and the driver. And the fellow knows that this is not exactly where I need to go. But what can it do? It doesn't know how to drive the car. It doesn't know whether the driver will listen or not. And she says, okay, anyway, life is wonderful. Wherever he is taking, at least we are traveling. There are a lot of people who live like that. Who believe that, how does it matter? Life is a journey, enjoy it. They don't know that life is enjoying them rather than they enjoying the life. <laughs> well, a time comes when this psychic life begins to become more and more independent. Again, the sign is, for such a person, you don't have to say that, you know, uh, sit and meditate this way, that way. He'll find it very difficult not to think of the divine. If you give him one day that today everything else will be provided, but you're not allowed to think of God. Such a person will say this is as good as being dead because it's just not possible. That's how the psychic life begins to emerge. It begins to modify matter. Very often people say, that well, um, uh, you know, we must think positive. Think po- is one of the most you know common dialogues. Sometimes you know it can be very annoying because everybody says think positive. Nobody says how to think positive. So how to think positive? Well, when the psychic being begins to emerge, develop the psychic life. Often people ask, you know, why in Shrabindu's yoga there are no yamas and niyamas in traditional Patanjali yoga? We have they do this, don't do this, prescriptions and proscriptions and dress code and this and that. Why there is nothing? Because Shrabindu is touching the core point. When the psychic life begins to emerge, automatically the brain will not entertain, will not allow darkness. One of the signs of the psychic emergence is, come what may, the brain just won't get these thoughts that, you know, uh, I, I should, you know, like people who give up their life in despair, these kind of things, they will, it will not happen because the brain is now getting tweaked into Supporting a greater consciousness, a higher light, because it begins to change into a luminous substance. Depression, the perfect cure of depression. As a psychiatrist, I can't prescribe it, because if I prescribe it, either I'll be asked to consult someone, or most people will say, now don't give us that. But the perfect cure for depression and a permanent cure is to let the psychic being emerge. How does it work? Simply because it drives away all emotions that are unholy, untrue. Because it loves beauty. It has a spontaneous trust in the divine. It knows that whatever be the appearances, everything will be well. All will be well. All is safe in the hands of the grace. It's a spontaneous knowledge. It's intuitive knowledge. It's not something which is uh, drilled into the head or drummed into the, you know, this drilling into the head doesn't help at all. Everybody drills into all the religions. Drill into the head that if you do Evil, you will suffer in hell with how many, you will be roasted in hell on some hot plate or whatever at 1000 degrees Celsius. And if you do good deeds, you will go to heaven on cloud nine, you will hear the harp. Everybody believes in religions, but in their actions, they don't. They dare the fire of hell and they refuse the lures of heaven because that doesn't work. What works is when this psychic being emerges. Spontaneously, it is like the real remote. Shubindu calls it the priest of the sacrifice. Before the psychic being undertakes the sacrifice, it is the mind which is guiding us, leading us, 
and the mind doesn't know the mantra it doesn't know what is what is to be invoked which god to be invoked when the mind does the sacrifice it's not the real priest it is just a temporary fellow like you know nowadays in india we have this system during this corona period there was the digital marriages so you took a computer touched a point there was a flame <laughs> image and then you ask them that you know which mantra you want okay this mantra so he'll press a button the mantras are running so everybody is taking the seven rounds around the computer now this is how the mind operates and when the mind does the sacrifice sacrifice is the law of life what does it ask for it asks for worldly success satisfaction of ambition now the entire bodily structure the frame is driven by this mind which still has a you know control over the body or rather a mind which is subject to life so it is the switch which is you know the switching points is the mental thought and the mind which is at the slavery of the body so this of life so that's how the physical structure get molded we do not know the power of thought to mold the mind uh, to mold the body the mother describes it and it's now well known that you know when the babies are in womb so uh, we grew up with this idea that you know keep baby krishna all around why because your baby will be like baby krishna it's a different matter that if baby krishna comes the first thing he'll do is kick out your mamas all the kans and the shakunis because you know baby krishna is not going to be anybody's at you know he'll not going to obey the parents he will obey truth and beauty and good but that is the idea that when we contemplate think about something it has an impact upon the body people don't realize just the power of thought psychic is much much uh, further that when people tell lies their face gets distorted actually it's an observation one can make when they are angry when they are afraid you know artists play upon this they learn all these emotions and how the face expresses it that's an art which also again it's a falsification thing but when we are in love when we are joy the entire face changes when there is peace tranquility face of buddha now when the psychic life begins to emerge what an impact it is going to have on the brain on the heart on the feelings on the life impulses it's beautifully described in savitri book 7 canto 5 when the psychic life emerges what happens to the mind immortal thoughts what did they do they elbowed out earth's drab and dull sense a person whose psychic life begins to become awake cannot you know be in an atmosphere where all these inanities are being discussed they cannot you know one of the things i remember people used to teach how to hold the fork how to hold the knife how to hold the spoon in air force days i had to learn all these things one of my most boring things i said nobody teaches us how much to eat how to eat how to overcome greed and all these things well i am not saying that it doesn't have a place but civilization is not measured by these things it can often be a facade civilization is measured by how the psychic life emerges and masters food automatically the thoughts then he describes that all emotions gave themselves to god when the psychic life emerges what is meant by all emotions every but every single relationship every little joy of life every love every form of love has many myriad aspects all of them are made a path towards the divine all of them in every let's say relationship there are things which are mixed the psychic life extracts the true from the false 
It extracts beauty out of ugliness. It extracts that which is the pure essence of love out of all the mud and filth which surrounds it. That is the beauty of the psychic life. It changes our emotions. It's impossible for a person with a psychic life which is developed to ever have fear. The Corona Kal was a perfect example of how to distinguish people who have a developed psychic life, whatever be their state, to what extent it can go. You know, there is a story, some stories are very touching, many of them. Story about, you know, Arya Samaj founder, Dhyananda Saraswati. He is the one who first gave the intellectual interpretation of the Vedas. So, Sri speaks very highly about him. Though there are a lot of, of course, um, it's not the perfect one, but the first effort to intellectually understand the Vedas, so, when he was about 75 or something, tremendous, very strong person, practice of brahmacharya and everything. And he uh, was poisoned, poisoned by a Muslim, uh, you know, cook. He came to know about it. He knew he is going to die. He calls this man and says, you better escape from here. They will discover my dead body and you will be the target. This is called Compassion. Just like Christ, look at the psychic life which is so intensely developed. Where it, it, it has a natural spontaneous compassion. Look at Sri Of course, supramental life is much further. But this is the door. Look at Sri Death for a few stones. The story of the stone throwing incident. Now when these emotions begin to move us, it has an impact upon every organ. At one place, the mother says, sickness is because of desires irritate the organs. Ordinarily, all our organs are meant to take a certain amount of desire. Human beings, our human body is right now driven by desire largely and a little bit of thought and they can take in that influx. But the moment it is driven by greed behind desire, Tumors, such things, all imbalances begin to start. A man driven by inordinate ambition. Slowly all this begins to accumulate in the body because it's the repository and begins to create various imbalances. What does the psychic being do? It automatically brings life to a new balance. Not the balance which the mind can create. The problem with mind is, mind says, give what is due to Caesar and give what is due to Rome or whatever that phrase is. I may be mistaken. Give to the devil its due. No, the psychic being says, devil, no. (laughs) God, yes. Or if a devil comes to the psychic being, it will say, oh thou mask of God, take away your mask. I know you are hiding behind this hideous mask and bring it out. So it, starts impacting the organs. It automatically brings peace in the vital. One of the reasons why people fall sick is because of a disturbed, turbulent vital, stormy vital, obscure vital, full of all kinds of things. What does the psychic light do? It begins to slowly, slowly starts eliminating. It's like a siever. Automatically out of the world forces and the contacts, how does this life get contaminated? Because of all our various vital interchanges. But the psychic life will automatically sieve out most of these things. And under the psychic influence, the impulse, the life force which runs, begins to become clear, limpid, luminous. And 
automatically creates a sense of harmony. One of the signs of the psychic being emerges is there is a love for harmony. Before the psychic being emerges, human beings believe in conflict, clash, destroy, finish. That's their way of life. But as the psychic being emerges, it doesn't believe in either or. It believes in harmony, taking things together, moving together upon a great journey. It doesn't say, okay, okay, this is now not there, but this is there. It automatically takes everything as an offering to the divine on that great journey. So this is the sign of the psychic emergence that it loves harmony. What else is health but a state of supreme harmony? And it automatically brings harmony. When the thoughts, nowadays everybody knows the impact of thoughts upon the body. But what has the key to thoughts? It is in the psychic being. Try with the mind. For some time, everybody knows, yes, yes, I must have. People often ask. They say, I know I should not think like this, but I get depressed. I can't help these thoughts come. Because our channel, the remote is in the hands of somebody else. Take that remote. You know, when in the house, five people are sitting well, I am talking of days when there was one TV and there were 15 people watching the TV. Then who controlled the channel? The fellow who was the head. But there were beautiful channels which you could play. But if the head wanted to see the Sas Bahu, Jamela or you know, horror show, no choice, you know. The others are simply watch. So, what is the way out? Take the remote. Give it in the hands of the psychic being. Let it control the life, the flow of life, its rhythm, its direction, its goal, its purpose. The mother says, speaks about the ashram context. He says, when people come to the ashram in the beginning, they come with the psychic being in front. They are so happy. So she says, when they eat food in the dining room, it is like a prasad. She speaks about the effect of the psychic. They say, oh my God, what a tasty bread. Nowhere upon this world you can find. Oh, this dal... This is nectar from heaven. Even heaven you can't get this. And then everybody they meet, they feel, oh, such a saintly person. I remember myself looking at a lady, I said, oh, she looks like a Brahma Jnani. Somebody said, no, 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 don't say that. You know how she behaves? Now I stood my point till date I stand my point. I, now I understand the difference between nature and the inner state. <laughs> but that's how you look at, uh, you know, it changes our view. Look at it like how we begin to deal with the world. So what else it does? It, she says as it emerges, it makes the mind broad and generous. The mind becomes wider, luminous. So by the very fact, the mind becomes wider. The brain cells begin to adapt. The complexity of thought of this universe, it begins to assimilate. You see why people are unable to, very often they say that, you know, oh, Shravinda is difficult. Shravinda is not difficult. Our brain's receptivity is small. Why is the brain receptivity small? Because it is encased with little things. Shravinda says so beautifully, O force compelled, fate driven, earth born race, O petty adventurers in an infinite world, and prisoners of a dwarf humanity, how long will you tread the circling tracks of mind around your little self and petty things? Psychic being comes and says to this petty thing called the ego, Please, your time is over. Initially, ego doesn't concede, there is a terrible conflict. 
ego tries to slay the psychic being the story of krishna and kansa can it ever slay no it is bound to grow destined to grow and a time comes when there is a final confrontation and the ego is displaced completely or rather it becomes the instrument the body from the spiritual perspective is the instrument of the soul what it does to voice to speech it lends it into it the ring of truth the voice begins to carry that because the voice begins to embody higher and higher states of consciousness the vibration otherwise without this emergence the mind is small and narrow when we reach shobindo we try to fit him into a conception and it doesn't work because shobindo like shri krishna escapes all conception shri krishna they tried to tie him he escaped it was a lesson for humanity don't try to tie me in any single conception of life the same applies to shobindo that's why mother says don't make a religion out of shobindo He is vast as the universe, and his teaching is infinite. What can open the doors to the infinite? It is the psychic being. It begins to tune the brain. Actually, within the brain, the cells, there is no study done. But if people could do a study, at least from the pure, um, uh, I mean, experiential point of view, those in whom the psychic life begins to predominate, they know how their thoughts have changed, how their feelings have changed. and what happens to the to the heart she says the heart becomes carries within it a warmth and a sweetness automatically you come into the company of a, a person with an awakened soul you'll feel that sweetness and warmth the glow in the heart which is missing otherwise a person can be very intellectual he may have read all the vedas like our ravana but you won't feel the presence of love it opens the doors to love that greatest healer of all because of which whose deficiency we are all suffering vitamin l and we are trying to get second hand product from this pharmacy that pharmacy while carrying it all within us it opens the door to love love opens the door to beatitude and ananda even the most ordinary human love has the capacity to to do that and what what this sweetness this psychic being creates and this sweetness is not just confined to the some airy fairy consciousness it flows in the veins in the body you see there is a very interesting many of these tales which are there in ancient indian myths these asuras and rakshasas they are all drawn to people with a developed psychic why because they miss that but they don't know how to love so they want to devour that's their only way they don't physically devour that's only shown in television serials they want to devour because not you know because that gives them that state which they cannot otherwise have the gods want to occupy the human seat why because they also miss the psychic life the mother says only human beings can love truly not even the gods because the gods lack that psychic element so it makes the heart full of beautiful emotions they get purified all range of emotions it's not like this it's not like a person will psychic being says okay let's talk about god and start giving a sermon no in every emotion he brings the right touch the just measure the psychic sweetness the warmth the beauty the ananda 
which flows from the soul. And when the emotions are balanced, again, the very body begins to change. And besides, it flows directly into the body. The moment the bodily energies start moving under the impulse of the psychic. But even before that, there is the life which is streaming forth. Normally, this life is driven by ambition and desire. What happens to that? Shubhindu again describes in Savitri, what happens to this uh, life? A glad uplift came and ambitions change into the will to serve the divine. The only thing that is left with a person with a developed psychic is he wants to serve the divine. No other occupation, no other preoccupation. And finally, the very bodily life, which is the seat of all the difficulties, the subconscious life, even the body begins to open to this influx. There is the sense of lightness in the body. And as it opens to the doors of higher consciousness, paradoxically also heavy, both at the same time, the mother describes this experience. The body endurance increases many fold. That which ordinarily, you know, people are troubled, the sign that the psychic influence has started in the body, signs that the body is, the physical being is getting ready, make the person sit. No, let's not make anybody sit. It's not a good thing to make people sit. But it's described beautifully in King Janak's story. So when uh, Narada or Shukdev, depends, doesn't matter, they go to the King Janak to meet King Janak. They are told that he is the greatest Brahmagyani. Go and meet him. You will know, learn from him what you cannot learn from the sages in the forest. Okay, how can a worldly man teach me? And Shubhindra immortalized this in one of his aphorisms. When Narada the sage goes and sees Janak, he cannot understand his ways. So what is he doing? As the story goes, his one leg is in Somebody is applying sandalwood paste. And in another leg, somebody is giving the heat of, you know, uh, fire for whatever reason. And King Janak is smiling as ever. This is a story, not that you should try doing this for the psychic life to awaken. But if the psychic life awakens spontaneously, this state comes in where the opposite vibrations, they begin to leave their antinomies and begin to harmonize within. Cold and heat, hunger and thirst and how they torture and torment us, they begin to take, they begin to recede in the background and automatically the body becomes much more receptive to the higher forces. And what is its impact? People often say, and this I have studied, I can vouchsafe, you know, being with the ashram, uh, dealing with people who are of you know different kinds who have lived here for many many years 30 years 40 years 50 years i have seen that their body has become very receptive to the divine forces the doses they need is much less because i have practiced outside psychological illnesses i have seen people needing with the kind of the kind of dosages which are prescribed and which are given whether it be for depression, for psychotic condition, whether it be for physical illnesses. So I often follow my own regulatory that when a person is living here and practicing yoga, then be careful, don't bombard him with the standard dose. It doesn't, standard conditions do not apply. 
because the body has become so receptive to the divine force. Some of them I am aware of. There are actual instances where a person who had been diagnosed as a cancer and was told you have you know six months or one year to live, and this lady said, "No, I am not going for surgery." Lived for thirty years. How did this miracle happen? Can it be replicated? It's not about replicating. It's not like a miracle without a process. The miracle has a process. That process is the psychic being is awake and it primes the body to make it receptive to the divine forces. People often ask, will sp- you know, prayer help? Well, it may help if it is an earth prayer. But then we must know that conditions apply. If the body is not receptive, it's not open. So many letters of Sri we see. Open, make the body receptive, make the mind open and receptive, make the heart. If this is not open and receptive, then it won't work. So the psychic being with regard to the body, the mother says, it gives its health and vigor, strength and stamina. All this happens because of the psychic presence and its action upon the body. It's only when the psychic body being has thus primed the mind, heart, life and body that the higher forces can enter without danger. Because this is called the Aadhaar. If this Aadhaar is not sufficiently psychicized, if it has not been brought under the real control of the psychic, and imagine one opens to the inrush of these higher forces, what is going to happen? The mind may break down. There are people whose mind has not been primed by the psychic, is not wide enough, and they actually suffer a breakdown. Before becoming supramental, one passes through the stage of the inframental. Your mind cannot contain that light. It's too tremendous. One is blinded by that. So the mind has to become supple, plastic, wide. That's where the psychic helps. The heart, suddenly an abundant outburst of love, spilling, flowing all around. It's not easy. I know someone who had come here, And so beautifully he was uh, hugging everything. The tree, the walls and everything. So they took him to me that here is a man who has gone crazy. So I asked him, what's what's happened? He said, I can't help it. I am feeling so much love inside. I said, well, feeling love is alright, but hugging everyone is not alright. Because it may land you with the law. So you keep this love inside and turn it towards something higher and more beautiful. This is what the psyche, sometimes the heart opens. There is a rupture. And the psychic has not yet touched it. There is a premature opening. One begins to feel it. See what happened in the Vaishnava Yoga. All love could turn into all lust. These are the real dangers. So before the higher consciousness comes in, it can raise up impulses in life, inordinate things. By the very presence, they bring out the resistances. But if the psychic being is there as the moderating influence, it has that master key. It, what it does, how does it help? It's a little fellow, nobody listens. What it does is it doesn't do anything. It doesn't enter into minds, debate, discussions. When these things rise up, it turns them also towards the divine. This is a very beautiful, small little aphorism of Shurabindo. What is divine life? He says, turn all things to honey. This is the rule of divine living. 
all things. Who can do it? Only the psychic being, the eater of the honey in the lotus of the heart. It is the one which takes the honey out of everything. And therefore it has this capacity that when all the forces in sadhana, they were bound to arise. It will pick it up and say, come, let's go. Very gently. Not like the mind with you know all kinds of conflict. Not like the vital which engages like a warrior. Not like the physical body which succumbs. Okay, fine, what can I do? The psychic will just like Krishna play the flute and these forces will follow him. It is an amazing experience. Unless the body, mind and they are all interconnected. So indirectly through the mind and the vital and directly also upon the body. Unless they are primed by the psychic. Unless they are they have undergone a modification. It can even influence our eating. It can go to that extent that the psychic being can automatically change even our eating habits. Somebody who would otherwise like a lot of you know, bitter and uh, um, what is it called? Chili stuff. Suddenly the taste begins to change. Half humorously one begins to love sweets. Well, <laughs> not to be taken seriously. But rather, it does happen, it changes the taste. It begins to moderate the element of, you know, because it, it modifies, it begins to change our sight to somebody who has a developed psychic being. He begins to see the hand of God in every circumstance. It begins to change our ears, our voice, the pitch of the voice begins to change. Notice people with an aggressive vital, the harsh, shrill voice. Or people with a very high mind and thought, complex and you know, they are always doing algebra within the mind. And those in whom the heart flows into speech, it's melody, it doesn't matter what they speak. That is the mantra, psychic being has that mantra. It knows that the offering and sacrifice has to be done only to uplift everything to the eternal. And that is the first condition. It, it, its action is to turn everything to the light and the right. And this right of the psychic being has nothing or little to do with morality. Shubhendari tells us the voice of the soul is not the voice of the conscience. Morality is a man-made thing. It's an ill-fitting coarse apparel, man's virtue. Which is okay, I mean, <laughs> when one doesn't have the psychic, <laughs> better to be moral than to be immoral. Subtly one should not be immoral. The psychic doesn't lead into that. It is better when the psychic, but when the psychic emerges, the spontaneous instinct towards the right and the light. And that right and light have little to do with our outer moral and social and religious and ethical sense. Ethical sense to an extent begins to touch it. Because the psychic spontaneously seeks the good, the true and the beautiful in all things. Time. So let me just close with reading something of Shirobindo. Lovely, we are there. This voice of the soul is not what we call conscience. For that is only a mental and often conventional erring substitute. That's why he says it's better to follow the voice of the soul even if it seems to err. And yet is there a divination 
within it within the psychic being now okay he was speaking about the moral there is a divination within the psychic being which is a surer guide than the reason or than even the highest desire and through apparent errors and stumblings its voice can still lead better than the precise intellect and the considering mental judgment the voice of the soul is not what we call conscience for that is only a mental and often conventional erring substitute it is a deeper and more seldom heard call yet to follow it when heard is wisest even it is better to wander at the call of one's soul than to go apparently straight with the reason and the outward moral mentor amazing but it is only when the life turns toward the divine that the soul can truly come forward and impose its power on the outer members outer members include the body for itself is spark of the divine to grow in flame toward the divine is its true life and its very reason of existence when the psychic flame comes it awakens in the body an aspiration long back i remember they like a prayer may my eyes always see the beautiful may my ears always hear the divine voice may i feel the touch of the divine in every contact may i taste the divine you know one wants to taste the divine why not with every sense you want to grasp the divine you want to smell the divine you want to feel the divine with the inmost heart you want the hands to be at the service of the divine you want the feet to be at the service of the divine you want the brain to be at the service of the divine you want the entire body to become an instrument a channel and a vessel and a vehicle of the divine this is what the psyche can do and this is no ordinary or simple thing at a certain stage in the yoga when the mind is sufficiently quieted and no longer supports itself at every step on the sufficiency of the mental its mental certitudes when the vital has been studied and subdued and is no longer constantly insistent on its own rash will demand and desire quieten the desire element quieten it will come up let me be quiet quiet in the mind with all its debates when the physical has been sufficiently altered not to bury altogether the inner flame under the mass of its outwardness the physical has its senses turned outward so so you know people living too much in the physical consciousness are all the time affected by every little scene somebody said very beautifully you want to be free from corona please don't watch the television that's the simplest way <laughs> i mean it's bit of a exaggeration maybe but this is a true that you know outwardness the body with its senses are turned outwards it deals with things outward it looks at things and react instinctively outwardly but when the inner flame awakens it deals with the same thing very differently so when the body doesn't buried an inmost being long hidden within and felt only in its rare influences that's why exercises are one of the things which are necessary not only to bring out the psychic being because it makes the body and even certain kinds of you know the ways of eating it helps the psychic emergence and its action but when the psychic emerges it changes also these things to come forward and illumine the rest and take up the lead of the sadhana its character beautiful lines its character is a one pointed orientation toward the divine or the highest now comes the beautiful line one pointed 
And yet plastic in action and movement, it does not create a rigidity of direction like the one-pointed intellect or a bigotry of the regnant idea or impulse like the one-pointed vital force. It is at every moment and with a supple sureness that it points the way to the truth. Automatically, distinguishes the right step from the false, extricates the divine or Godward movement from the clinging mixture of the undivine. It extricates. Look at the wonderful. It's not like either or. It extricates. Socrates, who had this awakened psychic, even he would take a turn. Suddenly you will feel, I would turn this way and turn this way. See, look at Satyavan Savitri's meeting. Shubhindu describes. Satyavan is the soul in man, which is, you know, and he says that that particular day, he had taken a turn. Had he not taken the turn, he would have missed <laughs> his destiny. And same thing he speaks about Savitri. She suddenly saw a path and took a turn in that direction. Now this turn, which, which is very physical event, their physical turning, is because of the psychic impelling the body to take that turn. So even in the most physical body. Its action is like a searchlight, showing up all that has to be changed in the nature. It has in it a flame of will insistent on perfection, on its alchemic transmutation of all the inner and outer existence. Everything, every part it touches. It sees the divine essence everywhere, but rejects the mere mask and the disguising figure. Sometime back I was... Just sharing this with a few friends. The mother describes love. She said love is a mighty vibration going from the one to the one in another body. That is the origin of love. It is the divine rediscovering himself in many, many bodies and forms and figures. And that's why he says only the very strong and very wide who can hold this. But our idea of love is me and you. But the original love is divine is rediscovering himself in countless bodies, in countless ways, in different, different forms, figures. What a powerful thing it would make life. It insists on truth, on will and strength and mastery, on joy and love and beauty, but on a truth of abiding knowledge that surpasses the mere practical momentary truth of the ignorance. Momentary truth of the ignorance says, no, 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 this is going to hurt you, very difficult road you are choosing. And the psychic being says, I want to take the road less travelled. For me, the difficult road, for me, the dangerous summits. That's the psychic being. For it prefers on an inward joy and not on mere vital pleasure. So there is a joy in it, but not on mere vital pleasure. For it prefers rather a purifying suffering and sorrow to degrading satisfactions. On love winged upward and not tied to the stake of egoistic craving or with its feet sunk in the mire. That's not what psychic being, you know, the angel of love, how much it gets distorted in human nature. On beauty restored to its priesthood of interpretation of the eternal. On strength and will and mastery as instruments, not of the ego, but of the spirit. Its will is for the divinization of life, the expression through it 
of a higher truth, its dedication to the divine and the eternal. So in the Indian um, thought, that is what is meant beautifully. The psychic being is described as something in many ways. One is that like a swan, it draws the milk from the water. We have spoken about it. But another very beautiful way it is described is its love for the good, the true, the beautiful. Satyam Shivam Sundaram. It automatically repels ugliness. It cannot stay in that atmosphere. It feels stifled. It automatically rejects falsehood. Satyam. It automatically strives for the ultimate good, the auspicious. Shivam. It is a seeker after eternal, intransient things. It builds immortality with mortal things. Okay. So any questions? Because this is a very beautiful subject and you know, <laughs> one could just go on and on. But any questions, I'll be very happy to take. Thank you. Thank you, Alok, very much for this beautiful exposition. This is the most important topic of uh, bringing psychic to the front and taking charge of our bodies, our mental, vital, and physical, especially body, when it becomes tuned to the divine work and life. There are several questions here for you, and I will skip some political questions and go straight to psychological. Please, thank you. Since our topic is psychological. <laughs> <Thank> <laughs> um, how does the psychic being impact one's need for sleep? Also, how does the psychic being impact the sex impulse? Okay. Thank you. The psychic being's impact on the need for sleep. Now, sleep is, let us understand, it is a necessity with regard to the present human constitution. But what it does to sleep is it changes its quality to start with. Ordinarily, sleep is very heavy, obscure. Ask a person, what did you dream? The person will say, I don't see dreams. Feels very proud about it. But with the psychic growth, that sleep tends to become more and more conscious. It releases consciousness from that realm of obscurity we call sleep. So sleep becomes another kind of school, like a waking state, but in another domain and dimension. You know, it's one of the description is who is awake in a state of sleep. So it begins to make us conscious in the sleep. That's one of the first characteristic. It makes it luminous. So when a person is more and more uh, under the influence of the psychic, one wakes up very fresh because the psychic is running as a strong, you know, guardian angel. Even during sleep it is guarding us. Another thing which it does is, for which of course... Uh, uh, I'm sure there are evidences that it guards us during the phase of sleep. Sleep is a phase when we are open to unconscious things, to the adverse forces. Now, if the psychic being is awake, it can wake us up and make us suddenly aware that there is something which is trying to enter our atmosphere. This I can say, uh, I mean, from a very, very direct experience. The forces that are coming near, it can wake us up. Sometimes it can actually arouse us and make us awake, physically awake. Because it's a much better state to be tuned in. 
it gives us that automatic spont like instinct of an animal it gives to human beings a higher intuition so this is the second thing which happens then third is with regard to the quantity of sleep definitely it comes down the need for the quantity of sleep but then there are many factors with regard to sleep there are some people who from childhood need a little longer sleep some need a little less the reverse is not true some people try to sleep less thinking that you know they are developing budding yogis but doing that mechanically means only the vital will emerge and create excitement also it doesn't rob us of sleep that somebody is having insomnia is a developed psychic being no most likely one is unable to go deep within oneself and connect with the soul within one is still roaming in the surface consciousness because sleep means we have to go deeper and if one remains in the surface consciousness one cannot go deeper and therefore one cannot sleep really so sleep comes to even a yogi but the quality of sleep changes and one is fairly conscious and vigilant so that any danger which comes near by real danger one is awakened i i remember once literally suddenly you wake up and you start calling ma 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 you don't know you know it's it's that kind of vigil it keeps a vigil in you know a scout in a vigil tower all else is asleep but the psychic is somewhere you know so it it has an impact on sleep on the sex impulse sex is the last of the bastions one of the last food sex and sleep there all three of them have deep biological roots and while it is one can to an extent you know it's much easier to master food with regard to sexuality the big problem is the challenge is that it has as shubhendra says in its ultimate origin something which carries the touch of the divine in the principle of ishwara and ishwari and purusha and prakriti the differences of the uh, you know genders which are attracted to each other but what it does to sexual impulses takes away its crudeness its vulgarity equally that kind of ascetic rigidity it has this ability to make everything beautiful what can be done with a caress and a touch it knows the touch is so important but very often in human sexuality we have forgotten all these things i don't want this to sound like a sex education but well <laughs> the fact is it does tend to make sexuality much more beautiful in the sense that ordinarily in the sexual impulse because it is derived from the animal and if you look at the way animals it's like i just want to have my pleasure and satisfaction and then turn away and forget everything a humanized sexuality is not like that it cares it gives itself there's a very interesting letter incidentally of uh, if i am not mistaken eleanor montgomery some of uh, you know us may be aware that you know she was a fashion designer in america and she writes an experience where during the physical act of sexuality she has an experience of the self and she says how is it possible how can i have that kind of experience and then the mother gives a reply that because she was in a state of giving that she could have that experience but there is another kind of sex life sex draws itself from the force of life i want i want i want now when there is want and craving from the desired self hankering 
turbulence possessing dominating controlling that's the kind of sexual life which many people have but wherever there is giving there is a joy there is a mutuality there is a sweetness a warmth where sexuality is just a last point of contact between because physical body it's an expression of a much deeper life within then it it also becomes something which is far more beautiful now i am not advocating that sex and spiritual life should go hand in hand together like some kind of a left hand tantra i'm simply saying what the psychic touch does to it and there comes a time when sexuality gets discarded it can get discarded one is completely its master so that does happen but first the psychic must come and turn all things toward the light and beauty and truth so a person with an awakened psychic being will not want sex for the sake of sex if at all it become a expression of a deep inner uh, love that one experiences in the heart psychic life does not lead to a mastery over uh, i mean conquest over sex if you want to put it like that but it does make it far more subtle far more refined far more beautiful far more heavenly than what the crude animal make or the crude animal humanity makes out of it again please this is not advocating <laughs> but this to understand its influence upon the body and the sexual life sexual life is roots deep into the body it doesn't go easily it it is it takes a long time so one should not get into an unnatural conflict with it because behind the question now i'm answering some people get into a very strong conflict with the sexual life immediately as soon as they turn to spirituality they hear about you know uh, this like a monastery sex no sex please so the more they think of it the more it starts coming up with a vengeance and they enter into very unnatural conflict the mother speaks about it that you know you are human don't behave like you know you are a celestial being but then turn it into everything which how as much beautiful it can be this is what should be the speaks about in supramental manifestation that all crude things must go away the mere animal seeking a momentary pleasure that must go away and then he speaks about refining it he doesn't explain what that refining is in evening talks he even says that sex is a divine truth behind it and that cannot come out without the psychic impulsion so another question yeah, thank you uh, yeah these are yeah there is one more question which i would like to you to answer that is what is the best way to use the physical as an instrument for the expression of the psychic being i have a very one line answer it is to serve the divine to serve the divine to serve the divine awaken an aspiration to serve the divine through the bodily instrument and which includes everything say when a person types on the typewriter the brain has come into play the hands have come into play and i am saying you know so at that point of time depending on what we are typing we are making the body an instrument so one of the simple things that you know one can do anywhere in this world in fact there is a term for it called lippi yoga people read savitri they read it with the eyes people read it aloud or hear savitri 
And then the third stage is where people read and write Savitri. I am just giving one example. So what is happening in the process? The body is receiving impact through the two main senses. The eyes and the ears. It also awakens certain states within. The whole processing goes through the brain and when it comes down through the hand, this part of the body at least becomes an instrument. When we recite a prayer, when we read Savitri aloud, the mouth is also becoming an instrument. So basically what is it? The entire bodily apparatus should be used in some way or the other to receive the impact of the divine consciousness and transmit it. You see, there is a very interesting story in uh, Mahabharata that uh, cutting the long story short, Draupadi seems to say, every step that one takes to meet the divine gives the result of so many yagnas. So I take it like this, that when somebody flies down from the US to the ashram <laughs> or within walks to the center, Maybe cleans up the photographs of Sri and the mother. It could be, you know, depending on, I am speaking in the context of Sri and the mother. It could be your guru, it doesn't matter. Cleans the place physically. One is engaging in physical yoga. Turning it into an instrument of the divine. The very act of walking is helping the body to, you know, because one is walking with this idea. So it is helping the bodily apparatus to become an instrument of the divine. And then we can extend this principle even into activities which are not apparently directly connected to the divine. Meaning thereby, if I do an exercise, I should do it with this idea, with this aspiration, with this offering in the beginning that may my body become an instrument and a channel for the divine. Awaken a the consciousness of the cell so they may open and respond to you so when the same exercise is done unconsciously or to look good or to have six packs or eight packs we should do it only for one pack punch and that one pack is the divine pack so when we do it with this idea that this body is yours even sweeping the floor there is something very beautiful aphorism of Shri there are two things perfectly pleasing to God in his servant and slave one who cleans his temple floors in silent adoration, Sabri's yoga, and the other who fights in the great battlefield of life for the divine consummation of humanity. That is the yoga of Hanuman. Both these things. Any action done with this idea, that's why in India, when food is offered to the divine, food is a physical act involving the material body. She says that, you know, do it with this aspiration that may this, this food is a prasad, it is coming from the divine. May it create in me elements which are helpful to the sadhana. Same with sleep, same with everything else. So essentially it's to lead a life with this conscious aspiration. And since the body is involved in all these various activities, not to speak something which is going to hurt, harm or injure, but to speak that which is going to help, unite, harmonize, that which creates beauty. So, the mouth is being used to express the psyche being. Obviously, people who abuse and are like that, the mother has used a word, let me add to it, they commit spiritual suicide. Takes away all the divine possibilities. So, what we express through the mouth, through the brain, reading Sri and the mother is to develop the bodily instrument 
Why? Because the brain is receiving the impact and the mother says it creates new brain cells for the understanding. What happens if the brain changes? Brain is the seat of consciousness. When the brain changes, the rest of the body changes. The golden light came down into my brain. The grey rooms of my mind sun-touched became. A bright reply to wisdom's occult flame. Plain, a calm illumination and a flame. Then it comes to speech. The golden light came down into my throat. And all my speech is now a song divine. A pain song of thee, my single note. My words are drunk with the immortal's wine. The golden light came down into my heart, smiting my life with the eternity. Now has it grown a temple where only thou art. And all its passions point towards only thee. The golden light came down into my feet. And all my earth is now thy playfield and thy seat. So this aspiration the psyche can awaken. So when we have this aspiration, when we make our bodily life, a matter of consecration to the divine, an object of consecration, when we are no more driven by egoistic ambitions, then automatically the body starts getting tuned to the divine and begins to change. To serve the divine. Mother would, Shabindu's famous letter, when somebody would come and say, I want to come to the ashram and get mantra from the mother. And Shabindu says, the mother doesn't give mantra, she gives work. <laughs> With a sense of humor. Thank you, Malak, very much. This was wonderful. Thank you, you, Dr. Pandey. Namaste.